Welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. This podcast is designed to help open your awareness to the truth of who you are, a limitless being. You are worthy and deserving of an abundant and prosperous life. It's time to peel back the false beliefs and live the life you dream about. For additional resources or to contact me directly, please visit my website, heatherhakes.com. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to episode number 498. In today's podcast, my guest is sharing with you how you can access your limitless potential. That is what I want to remind you of. You literally have unlimited potential in this human experience. We talk everything from yoga to affirmations to the power of gratitude and following internal nudges. Make sure you listen all the way to the end. Welcome to today's podcast interview. I brought on Yogi Aaron. Aaron, welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. Very much appreciated. For those new to you, please give a background. Where do you live and what do you do? I live in Costa Rica. I um, am a yoga teacher. I also own a yoga retreat in Costa Rica where we welcome uh, yoga groups as well as I teach and lead yoga teacher trainings. I'm a muscle activation specialist. I'm also an author, a podcast host. <laughs> That's just at the top of the list. Right, all the things. But- and the reason I wanted to bring you on, you know, I, I did my yoga teacher training a few years ago. And I remember when I first did yoga, I hated it. Like literally, I thought it was terrible trying to follow um, the teachers. It, it was at, you know, like 24 hour fitness, trying to follow the teacher. I literally thought I was hyperventilating, trying to breathe at their pace. It was terrible. But for me, I, I gave it another shot and I ended up doing paddleboard yoga and being out in nature and the air and the water, there was something which now I love yoga. I, I like crave it, that mind body connection. And that's why I wanted to have you on as a yoga teacher and and doing what you do and living in Costa Rica, one of the blue zones, right? Yes, that's correct. (laughs) You shared with me, which I would really love to deep dive is this whole idea of like waking up the consciousness so that we all can manifest our purpose. Can you explain what that means? (laughs) <laughs> That's such a loaded question. <laughs> my One of my dear friends and colleagues uh, posted something about on, you know, her social media recently, literally recently, that she's so addicted to teaching that because, like, this idea of, of seeing people, the light going on in people's eyes, it's mm-hmm. so addicting. And when you see like someone's consciousness wake up, it's just, for me, that's the most precious thing uh, that can happen. Yeah. Um, but yoga begins, in the Yoga Sutras, it begins by saying that we're basically asleep. Pardon the interruption. If this content is resonating with you, please be sure to leave a five-star review. I want to offer you some additional resources. Visit my website, heatherhakes.com, and sign up for my free video training on how to reprogram your subconscious mind. I also offer one-on-one coaching. I will help you create clarity and a roadmap so you can live the life you dream about. Best part? Everything I teach, you can start implementing right now. 
To learn more and apply, visit heatherhakes.com. Now, back to regular programming. Um, that we're submerged in darkness. And, and when we talk about darkness in a yoga um, paradigm, what we're really talking about is lack of knowledge, that we don't have knowledge of ourselves. Um, and, and there's a, another word for it called ignorance or avidya, which basically denotes this idea of we don't know what we don't know until we know that we didn't know. And the only way that we can wake ourselves up is through you know, different practices such as meditation, um, breathing practices, maybe some asana as well. And, and so the whole idea then of yoga is to wake up that light of consciousness within our mind um, and to take it out of where it's submerged in darkness and bring it more into the light. And so it's important for people to understand like that, that in, inherent light is already within us. It's just kind of like, I guess, kind of squished or shrouded in, in darkness, if you will. And so as we do these kind of spiritual practices, we're awakening that inner potential within us. And that's how you get like these people they do yoga practice, and then all of a sudden, it's like it's like they want to go and open up a yoga retreat center, <laughs> or they want to go and free a country, or they want to go and join a movement because they just feel called to a greater purpose. This is coming to mind, so I'm just going to share it. I feel like, because what you said is we already have that light within. Everything we need is already within, but I think because so many people are asleep, they feel that nudge, they feel the discomfort, and they go and suppress it by numbing out on whatever your vice may be, right? Drugs, yeah. alcohol, drinking, shopping. And until they, we stop doing those negative, vicious, self-sabotaging behaviors and create the space for that, they're going to continue on that trajectory, right? Versus finding their purpose, which they have access to. Mm -hmm. So what would you offer somebody that this is like resonating and maybe an aha, like, yes, I am see, I literally have to share this with you. Literally in my twenties would Google, what's my passion? What's my purpose? How do I find it? And I found it by chasing the societal norms that were supposed to make me happy but I wasn't. And I hit my quote rock bottom where it was just kind of like everything had to crumble and I got to start again. And it was on the seeking journey until I figured out it's not in a book. It's not in a whatever it's, I, I had to create that space. That was mine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's just different with everybody. Like you just listed a bunch of things that I, I just want to say from my perspective, I don't consider good or bad. I do find it distracting. Like, so I want to give you an example because a friend of mine, a good student of mine, a couple of years ago, we were talking and he was, I said to him, like, Andrew, he wouldn't mind, by the way, if I used his name because he knows I talk about him all the time. Uh, but I said, Andrew, you know, how are you doing in life? And he said, well, you know, I'm, I've, I've ticked all the boxes. You know, I've got the huge apartment in beautiful, gorgeous apartment in Manhattan. I have a job with Kenneth Cole. Um, I'm living this life in New York, you know, and, and he was, and but it, he wasn't happy. He says, there's just something missing in my life. Yeah. So in the course of talking to him, one of the things that he said was he loves to watch TV. And so I said to him, 
what would it be like if you didn't watch TV? And he said, well, that's not possible. I said, why? Because he then said that if the TV is there, he will just turn it on and then he'll get sucked into it. And that's where all of his life force energies goes. They said, well, what about if you put it in storage unit or better yet, call a friend, a really supportive friend and say, for the next 30 days, can you please take my TV away from me? And Andrew looked at me like I was asking him to give away his firstborn child. And so it's important that people understand, like in yoga, we call that tapas. Giving up something is tapas. And tapas creates this inner heat, this inner resistance within us. I remember the first time I did a 30-day wine, a fast from wine. I always say wine fast, but that doesn't sound correct. A fast from wine, like I gave up wine for 30 days. I thought I was being tortured for the first two weeks um, because it was such a habit for me to have like in the day with like one or two cups of wine. And so that's like a tapas. But then after a couple of weeks, once I got over that hump, it was like consciousness started to dawn in a different way. I started to see life differently. I started to look through different windows of opportunities and one of my teachers says that the results of tapas is the resplendence of personality that we actually start to shine in it literally shine in a different way with andrew he just it just wasn't there like the the outcome or that that whatever promise of giving up tv for 30 days for him was so like just he couldn't see it that was just beyond it and Part of his personality was that he needed to have that vice until we were willing to give up something to gain something else. We just stay stuck in the same patterns. (laughs) Do you drink wine today? I do. I I love drinking wine, but I also um, do a fast from wine every so often for various reasons. I'm not, not because I think I might be addicted to it, but just, to just see if I can a go without it, but also b more importantly, because I like again, it just gives me a different perspective. I'll do it with coffee. I'll do it with my sleeping patterns. And one of the most important things in the yoga tradition is that we're invited to experiment with our lives. Like, you know, give up something, try something on new, do a different habit, meditate daily. All of these things are just different ways that we get to experiment with ourselves to see where is their resistance. And in that resistance is whether it's giving up something or starting something, it's in that resistance, in that friction, in that tapas that we start to get heated and confront who we really are. A lot of people are walking around blind in life to who they really are and how they act in life. Um, But once we're asked to give up something, you know, you can always see like a person's resistance, like hit it like right away, because so much of our of our who we think we are is that thing of doing and it's not. I was just going to say identity. Yeah, yeah. identity somebody, is powerful. Somebody literally reached out to me this week seeking, you know, guidance and help and quitting smoking. And I'm like, well, I wonder why they're reaching out to me. But ultimately, <laughs> quitting smoking is simply a bad habit. And I'm like, well, until you understand the emotions behind the trigger to want to go get that high, yeah. you can band-aid it and whatever. But you know what I'd love for you to share? Because I've definitely not had this conversation before. Um, can you share more about the background of yoga? And I think you said something about the science of yoga. 
Yes. Um, I don't know where to start with that topic. Can you get, can you well, give something a little bit more specific? <laughs> yeah, you just maybe can you just give because you know I think a lot of people think yoga and meditation are very woo woo. Yeah. But I, you know, it's definitely becoming at least yoga and meditation. It is. It's becoming more mainstream, and 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 because so many people are seeking happiness, peace, and freedom. When you create that space, but you were, you shared with me these four points, something about the background of yoga, about the mind, body, sound, and feeling. Can you just explain that more? Yeah. I I mean, yoga tradition is something that's evolved and there's, there's records of it even going back as far as 15,000 years. Um, Most of the time you'll hear about 5,000 years, which was right around the time that I think it was like we started seeing like aspects of the Rig Veda and and some of these deep spiritual texts becoming coming out. But to sum up in a brief way, the yogis were basically stewards of life. And in, in America, in the Americas, we hear like about the Native Americans and and sort of how they are stewards of the land. You can kind of say that the yogis were stewards of life and and they really sought to a connect to life so that they could understand themselves but also to work in keeping harmony with life and work work with the energies of life if you want to say it that way and par- part of it was basically they recognized that we're here for a purpose and and that purpose is i mean the ultimate purpose is to know ourselves they said the gift of life is to know ourselves and to die without knowing ourselves is life's is our greatest loss in life. And I, you know, you hear like someone like Steve Jobs at the end of his life making comments about how he wished that he hadn't focused so much on his career, but focused on trying to work on answering the bigger questions of life. And so we all get into that sort of groove or or flow of life and what the yogis are saying is like that's good that's fine you know we need to be in the world but let's also keep remembering who we are there's three charges of the himalayan tradition or three instructions um uh and the first one is to become fearless practice becoming fearless in life the second one is to always be remain aware of who we really are in, in Another way of saying that is to be always aware of the ultimate reality within us. And part of what that means is that there's an aspect of us that is never changing. You know, there's there's the kernel of who we are is primordial. And but then to recognize everything else around us is changing. Going back to what I was saying earlier about giving something up, part of giving something up is to recognize the impermanence of that thing that you're giving up but also to recognize that helps us to recognize the permanence of who we are. And the third charge is to actually live our life to the best, to do our duty and to work hard. Um, and so that's the teachings of, of the yoga tradition and all of the practices, whether it be doing a posture or breathing or a type of meditation, or sometimes we see people make namaste mudra, you know, bringing their hands into prayer. That's a mudra. So there's different mudras and all of these different things begin to shift our consciousness. It starts to move our consciousness away from what it's kind of like locked into. So that locked into-ness of watching TV, 
or that locked incidence of, of smoking or what you were calling earlier, like bad habits. So it pulls us out of those quote unquote bad habits and we're able to start seeing life differently. And you see that with people when they do like a yoga class, um, they come out and they have like a fresh perspective. Of course, if they don't keep working on that, then they just go back into being stuck again very quickly. And we see that a lot with people in the yoga world too. They just fall back in so quickly to their um, <laughs> their habit patterns. <laughs> well, so I don't know if I answered your question, but feel free to ask me more about yeah, that. Yeah, what I heard from you is it's that yoga, breath work, present, whatever works for you, creating presence, which I agree, I get that 100%. Well, I get it with running yoga meditation. Because otherwise, we're living life unconsciously and on autopilot, right? Rinse, yeah. wash, repeat, day in and day out until you create these intentional mindfulness practices. Yes. I yeah. think that's... A I, Go ahead. You know, I think you you hit it on the head and, and it's a constant practice and we have to be constantly vigilant in our own life in in, in, in challenging ourselves to wake us up, you know? And sometimes I, I say to my students, you know, sometimes it's like, set your alarm for five o'clock in the morning for a week and get up at five. If you wake up at six, get up at five, whatever. Just get, do it for one week and start to do something different because we all get locked into patterns. And it's important that sometimes we look at, it's not that any of the patterns are bad or good. It's That's not what it's about. It's giving up coffee. It doesn't make you a better person. It just for you as an individual, it can create a little bit of friction so that you can kind of look at where are the seeds of happiness? Is it outside of me or is it inside of me? And so the moment we start to always get caught up in the outside world, we're locked. Um, it's the inside world that we need to be consumed with. And that's what yoga teaches us. Um, so like, you know, one of the things I'm adamantly opposed to, I know this is off topic, but since I've kind of brought it up, I thought I would mention it, that I'm opposed to is like yoga teachers who play music in their yoga classes. And you see yoga teachers like obsess about their their playlists and make a big deal of it. But that's kind of bringing us outside of ourselves. And it takes us away from what yoga is teaching us, which is that state of pratihara to dwell within that inner kingdom within us, mm -hmm. that stillness is, is, is where we want to kind of um, get to. And so at Blue Osa, my yoga retreat, one of the things that we do is we practice morning silence. There's no talking, no music. There's nothing, not even electronics because we turn the ele um, uh, internet off. And so Wait. people can't even use the internet. And, but it's just a chance to just listen and to the sounds, to watch the sunrise, to close your eyes and just feel present. And after three days of people, even two days sometimes of people being at Blue Osa, they come up to me and they're like, I cannot believe how magical this place is. And I kind of want to say to them sometimes, we're not doing anything magical. We just turned off the internet. Yeah. Well, they disconnected. <laughs> disconnected, yes. yes. And, and they're bringing their attention inward. Oh, I love that. Okay, so there's several things. I have all these notes here. But there's a couple I, I mean, I 100% want to touch on. Can you please explain the power of breath work? 
and why breath is so important. I'm just taking a deep breath as you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> because we're talking about like these habit patterns that we get locked into, you know, spending too much time shopping, spending too much time on our, our devices, whatever it is, that all of these patterns are locked into our breath. And so if we keep breathing the same way, we keep ending up in the same results, this exuding the same emotional responses, being reactive, you know. And and so if we want to just change something, the fastest way, and, and this is actually part of the yoga tradition, if we want to change quickly, change your breath. And so if you really want to start affecting your life, just start to change your breath. As you change your breath, you start to change your outward momentum and you no longer are doing those same things over. And you see this happen a lot. People start to go, oh, I don't want to eat meat anymore. Or I, I feel like I want to start living a healthier lifestyle. Or I think I want to start finding healthier relationships. And all of that is spontaneously just because they started breathing differently. Can you... Um, well, okay. I'm going to go to this one then. Can you please explain or share with us some daily rituals you have? And I intentionally use the word like morning rituals or evening rituals, because I do not use the word routine. The word you can derive from routine is rut. And that's mm -hmm. how we fall back into autopilot. It's very monotonous. So a ritual is very intentional. What are you doing each day with breath, meditation, movement, mindset, whatever. Um, I have a few rituals that I love to do. Uh, one of them is my coffee ritual, <laughs> making my morning, my morning coffee. Um, Cause for me, it's all about smelling, tasting, making it, pouring the hot water over it. Um, another ritual that I have, especially when I'm at Blue Osta is I love to, with my cup of coffee or sometimes before just walking around the property and um, looking at the plants and just breathing everything into my space. Um, another ritual I have is walking, you know, especially when I'm at Blue Oso, like going for my morning walk on the beach and being present to just that consistency of life. Um, and reminding myself that no matter what what I think is going on in the world, that life keeps going on um, and keeps presenting itself in the most magnificent way possible uh, that transcends everything. And um, I had that awakening actually when I was in Antarctica, and that was right around the time that um, somebody got elected, and it was causing a lot of stress, especially within myself for a lot of reasons. And when I went to Antarctica and I watched, you know, these just life happening around me and I thought, oh my God, like all of that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is just that life is moving. And I, for that moment, real remembered the power of life. And part of my ritual is to bring me constantly back to that remembrance so I don't forget it. How did Blue Osa come about? Can you share that story? 
<laughs> that's going that's going from a whole different topic i know but you, um, you keep bringing blue osa up and you know i i just feel no, I like love it. yeah when we're guided to something and and it's something i want to check out but i want to hear more about blue osa i i really believe in following our purpose and um in answering purpose when it comes knocking at the door of our heart um i had a studio in new york and it was a very unique studio i i ran um this studio and i had a very close-knit community of people um who were my students and the studio i had i lived in that space as well so it was like a live-in space i think i had like 10 classes a week or something like that but there was a moment when I had to go, leave that space. And what some people said was like, wouldn't it be cool if we just got like a big space where we all could live together? And so that I'm going to skip the next parts of the story. But basically, it, it started off with opening up an ashram in New York City. Then it was going to be India. And then and then it just kind of led to Costa Rica. And at that time, I was leading yoga retreats to Costa Rica. And I um, was driving down the street and there was a Century 21 sign outside this property. And as I was driving by, I looked down and as I looked down, there was like the, through the gateway of the property, there was this tunnel of bougainvilleas. And at the end of the bougainvilleas was this beautiful uh, turquoise blue ocean. Mm -hmm. And I just immediately felt home. And, you know, then six months later, we owned the property. And then, you know, three years later, we opened it. How long have you had it then? So this is technically our 14th year of being open. Oh, gosh. Okay. A long time. Yes. It's been a little while. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Since you touched on this, well, you shared it with me. I would like to talk a bit about affirmations and because you shared it at a completely different level than I've heard it before, but also this idea of living limitless, mm -hmm. which is our true potential. So how do we get there? So my mother um, was very much a new agey kind of person. And she got me into affirmations. Like I loved you sharing your little journal, gratitude journal story with me. My mother, I wasn't quite that young, but my mother got me into doing affirmations when I was like 13, 14 years old. Yeah. And so I kind of grew up with it. But then I, in my 20s, I sort of let it go. Um, but then I was taking the train. I decided to move to New York City to become a yoga teacher. And, and again, purpose was knocking at the door of my heart. And as I was on the train going to New York, I was going with no money basically in my pocket. And um, I was experiencing fear and, you know, fear is the mind killer. And so what I, I closed my eyes and I felt like, what is on the opposite side of that fear? Like what, if, if there was no fear, what would I feel? And then that word limitless came into my mind. And so I just, in that moment, it was like a spiritual download um, in that moment of surrender and silence or stillness. Um, that affirmation just popped into my mind. I am opening myself up to the universe of limitless possibilities. And I just really felt it. And there was many times when I got to New York that I really, obviously I got afraid. I had a few, I had many setbacks. Um, you know, clients dropped me or like I wasn't getting clients and I knew that my time was running out. 
And so every time that happened, I would just kind of close my eyes and come back into, I'm opening myself up to the universe of limitless possibilities. And the most amazing thing was by the next day, a new opportunity would come. And um, one of the things that I said to you, I think in our conversation before the call is that in the yoga tradition, this idea of bhavana is so important. And sometimes you'll see teachers kind of getting their students into it, like creating this bhav. And so the word bhav in and of itself means love. Um, it means love. And bhavana means to have love of something, to cultivate love of something. And, um, and usually it's like a love of a thought. So whatever that thought is, that there's a sense of love and devotion for that. And, and that you actually can feel it in your body. Um, and, and in this way, our thought patterns start to shift very dramatically. Um, one of my great teachers did this whole talk on the creative use and power of emotions. And us as humans, we're granted with this beautiful power of emotions. And we can, but some of us use those powers for not so good things. But the idea is that we start to channel our energy, channel that power. And the greatest power of emotion that we have is love, right? So that idea of bhavana is harnessing that great power and directing it towards, you know, um, putting our mind in a different place. So this idea of bhavana and this affirmation is just really important if we want to start to transcend, you know, that fear, that innate fear that is within all of us and, and channel it in a different way. Any limitation, right? Which is... Any limitation. With, yeah, which starts with thought. But what I... Hold on. What I love that you shared about that is because affirmations on the surface level aren't enough because it's just a thought. But the importance I really want to highlight is how you combine this. Can you please say the affirmation? I'm opening myself up to. To the universe. I am opening myself up to the universe of limitless possibilities. But you're also feeling it, right? You combine yes. that affirmation with a feeling. So it's an embodiment and that's why it can create change in your life. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's it's so important to feel it and to imagine it. One of my great other great teachers said that imagination, the root word is images brought into action. And I love that when he said that. I've never forgotten it because where again, where our mind goes, we will go. And so, but we have to really put our mind in that place. One of my, one of the most greatest speeches, I think, of this last century, there's been many, of course, but one of the, I think the most powerful is when JFK said, we are going to the moon. And at that moment, nobody in the planet had even conceived of that possibility. They hadn't even launched a rocket into space successfully. And he said, we're going to the moon. And 10 years later, I think it was 10 years later in 72 or 74, they landed the first spaceship, the first rocket um, on the moon. And it's just testament to the power. Gandhi once said, India will be free. And he harnessed the mental power of a nation to do that. We can do things if we, but we have to feel it. And once we feel it, it becomes a reality and we do not accept anything different you know anything different um and if we can do that as a collective oh my 
God. Right? <laughs> There's actually a great experiment that was done. I won't talk too much about it. I'll just say it really quickly. But in D.C., I think it was in 93, D.C., the um, District of Columbia had the highest crime wave ever recorded. And a group of meditators got together and they sat in meditation that whole summer. And usually during summertime, the crime wave always goes up. But that summer, the crime wave actually descended. And um, and so, you know, meditation and, and coming together as a collective yeah. has enormous power. Coming together as a collective with feeling and with love and in true intention will just transform us in our planet. Yeah, that's that focused energy. Something that came to mind that I wanted to ask you, when people understand the power of affirmations and embodiment, but there's still that that tinge of, you know, like we're planting the seed and we fertilize it with belief and conviction, right? But that little weed of doubt or fear, how would you offer somebody to no matter what, stay forward focused, unwavering faith, trust, in the timing and, and the how, like, how do you tell someone that? <clears throat> There's, I mean, sometimes these thoughts that we have, you know, two things either happen as we do spiritual practice, we have these kind of unnecessary thoughts, if you will, or conflicting thoughts or fearful thoughts yeah. that keep surfacing. And so sometimes two things will happen either the teachings say they burn up in the fire of knowledge. It's kind of like when you have an awareness, you just get all of the answers and you realize, I don't need that anymore. <laughs> and then you just are able to let it go. That karmic knot is no longer binding you uh, to that feeling, to that thought, to that action. But sometimes we need to resolve it. And so in the case of fear, if you have a fear, and, and by the way, it's, it's, I think it's very truthful to say that most of us aren't aware of what we're afraid of because we just have so many habits that we just keep acting out on that we, unless we start to change our actions that we don't really know what we're afraid of. Um, and, and things just kind of come out of our mouth and we don't, we're not aware of it. So that idea of creating some tapas, practicing morning silence, waking up earlier, um, doing a sitting practice, all of those things are important so that we can start to become more aware of ourselves. But once we have that awareness of fear and we notice that it's not going anywhere, then we need to do use what the teachings call, like uh, Krishna said to Arjuna, sharpen your sword of discrimination, which means analyze it, like look at the fear and and get practical about it. And, and by practical, like, for example, fear of flying, it's a very rational fear, but it, in, on one hand, like, it's a very understandable fear. That's what I meant to say. But on a rational sense, it's actually irrational because probably flying is one of the most safest activities you can do in your life statistically. Yeah. So it's about, like, looking at it from a rational perspective and saying, does this really make sense? Um, is there a reason for me to be afraid? And sometimes the answer is yes. You know, like you don't want to be stepping your foot into a fire 
I guess unless you're doing some sort of fire walking ceremony. Um, if you don't know how to swim, it would be really stupid to jump into the deep end of the pool without a life jacket. Like, so they, that's part of the rational part is like just breaking it down and dissecting it and getting getting into it instead of running away from it, saying, no, 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 I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. No, get into the fear and ask yourself, is this really something that I should be afraid of? Is this, or is this something that I'm just inventing in my mind? But even then, let's say the resistance is self-doubt. Okay. Imposter syndrome. Um, Procrastination is a big one. 80 plus percent of adults admit to that. And those are the things I see come across most often. Self-doubt, imposter syndrome, procrastination. How can somebody see it? let go of the resistance so that they can live the limitless potential. Again, they just have to, they have to break it down. Like, what am I really afraid of? When I moved yeah. to New York, you know, I, I was stepping into like what I thought was the impossible. Um, and for many people, they would never do it. I mean, the idea of moving to New York with $3,000 in your pocket and knowing you have less than three months to make it or, or you know, New York or bus. Um, is just so um, unreasonable to a lot of people. Yeah. But I just kind of like broke it down. I actually had friends supporting me too. And I told them what was going on in my head and and they kind of broke it down. Well, you have this much time. If you do this, this, and this, you know, you will be able to do it. And And so I just, I had to, there was a part of me that had to take the leap of faith, but I also spent some time, I just didn't do it on the whim. And say, okay, I'm going to break into my fear and, and got on the first train to New York. I spent actually a couple of months kind of like thinking about it and, and analyzing it. And I think that's a really important step sometimes is to break down our fears and, and ask ourselves, like, is it really practical to keep thinking this way? Um, I think a lot of us are very logical if we give ourselves the opportunity to. And again, it's just it's igniting that part of our mind that is the knower it's igniting that part of our mind that is the deep-seated intelligence that we were all born with and knows what we're capable of doing and inviting ourselves to wake that up um but on the flip side of that i just want to also comment and say that for some people that are stuck i think that there, i mean this is a very simplistic way and probably might offend some people but the third chapter of my book um which deals with pain it's all about how to live a pain-free life the third chapter is titled who am i without my pain and so so many of us um our limitations is what defines us our fears are what defines us you know and if we're not willing to let go of some of our identity then I don't know if there's any chance of you ever changing. Uh, like my friend Andrew, you know, and him not being willing to give up his TV, you know, and starting to kind of open up to that universe of limitless possibilities. The addiction was so deep and who he was was so defined. I know it sounds ridiculous by the TV that that it's it just was not possible. And so who am I without my pain? is one of the most important questions that we need to start asking ourselves. Who am I without my, my suffering? Who am I without my debilitations?
And as we answer that question, we come closer to the source if we're really honest with ourselves. Well, I think it definitely comes down to a lot of humility, especially mm, for people who, good word. Yeah, who have the victim mentality and they don't yeah. even realize it. But if you continue blaming <clears throat> and pointing the fingers on everybody else, nothing will change for you. Yes. But you're right. And I've seen it. People are addicted to yes. suffering. Addicted. Yes. And, yeah. and I, I just have to share this. When I did ayahuasca, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I did it. The message that came to me when I finally surrendered and let go of that, there was so much physical pain I was experiencing. And I, and I surrendered into the mat. I let go. This serpent came out of my stomach. This waterfall came rushing down. And the message I got was all suffering is self-imposed. Yes. So we have the the key to that um i'm seeing like a bird cage right now you know like we have the key to release ourselves i mean you just said it perfectly we are all living in the cage of our mind but one of the yeah. one of the quotes from my teacher swami raman it's important that that people hear this the mind is our greatest asset and our greatest tool the mind is either the warden of your prison or the key to your liberation the mind can go both ways mm. and it's a tool depending on how we use it. A lot of people are using their mind to engage themselves even more so. Yeah. And, and again, people just say stuff so flippantly that reinforces the um, walls of that cave with extra layers of concrete. One of the things that I say that with conversation in my teacher trainings that we have in the yoga sutras we talk about the yoga sutras is all about elevating the higher aspects of the mind and at the same time helping us to release our suffering and i always ask my students like where does suffering exist and then right away they say it exists in our mind and you're i mean it's such a great awareness that you had because that is where suffering exists and when i told you i was in antarctica like that was part of the remembrance i knew it but I actually, I had that deep-seated remembrance of like, wow, Yogi Aaron, you are creating a lot of suffering right now in your life by yeah. focusing your energy on these areas. Is this really how you want to live? And I made a lot of changes in that moment. <laughs> That's awesome. I've loved this conversation and we touched on a lot. So I want to ask you, what do you believe is a key takeaway you want listeners to get? I, in my, in my yoga practice, in what I, what we try to actually impart to, this is a big philosophy at Blue Osa, is to seek first to understand. And, and it's like, when you see something that you are like, don't agree with, instead of like going, well, I don't agree with that because of blah, 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 actually change your question to, please tell me more. I want to know and understand you better. And I, I always am reminded of, of that habit of, that's actually a habit of Stephen Covey from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that this idea of seek first to understand, but it's also such an intrinsic part of the yoga tradition to listen and to be receptive to how other people are walking through life 
um, and, and experiencing life. I love that. All right. I'd love to wrap up the interview. So I have a couple of rapid fire questions. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> um, Panic just set in, but I'm also talking myself out of it. I'm just ahead. kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what is a quote or motto that you live by? Oh gosh. Um, become fearless. Step out of my fear. What is a book you're currently reading or highly recommend? <laughs> Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. <laughs> Fair enough. You know uh, no, actually, actually, I take that back. My number one book that changed my life. I read it when I was like 13 or 14, and I've read it a hundred times since then. And um is The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Such a transformative book. Changed everything in my life. Who is that by? Dan Millman. Um, it's just, it's just such, and there was actually a movie made about it. A lot of people didn't like the movie, but I loved it. Such a powerful movie. All right. Final question. What advice would you give your younger self? Oh my gosh. Stop worrying. Mm -hmm. I think I was always so worried when I was younger. Like I've got to have success now. I've got to, you know, be this kind of person and, and, as I'm going through this current evolution of myself right now um, and, and kind of doing something new, it's forcing me to put all of the things I teach into practice. And I think at the top of the list is just patience and non-attachment, not, not being attached to a result, but being yeah. really present to the conversations or the moments I'm having, for example, with you right now and how delightful it's been. Uh, speaking with you for the last hour and a half yes. um, that it's just it's kind of pulled me out of this expectation of a future result to be really present here and now what am I doing here and now today to live my best life and to be fully engaged in my work I love that and such a great note to end on Aaron thank you so much for joining me thank you thank you so much for having me Heather Thanks for tuning into today's episode. I'd love it if you could leave me a review and remember to subscribe and share this episode with your friends. If you haven't yet, connect with me on the social platforms. You can add me on Instagram at heather.hakes and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'll catch you on the next episode.